0: There's a story of this, this guy. Now, you guys remember that movie Cars? Do you remember when the guy messed up the road at Cars? Do you remember that? So I kind of picture that rural area off of Route 66 in Arizona, this big road. Well, this team said, hey, we've got this paint machine that usually puts the stripes on the road. So what happened... Is it broke down? So then they had to hire someone. So they hire this guy and he goes, You're gonna make the stripes. It's rules, so there's no cars coming by hardly at all. So he begins the first day and he paints nine miles of stripes. Pretty impressed, the supervisor was. So he goes, Oh my goodness, that is incredible. I'm gonna get you a raise. Matter of fact, I'm gonna hire you full-time. Just keep up this work. The next day it was five miles. The next day it was a mile. And then the fifth day, he was down to a half a mile. And the supervisor, he goes, I'm going to have to let you go. You're just not producing what we thought. But he had to ask him. And the guy said, it isn't really my fault. The man was like confused as he walks away. I just kept getting further and further away from the paint bucket. Okay, that's a joke. But here's the deal. Here's what I'm trying to get across. The supervisor could have supervised, and he could have said, why is his production not very good? Because he's walking so far to dip the paint. Today, I'm going to talk to you about justice and mercy. All of us want mercy, all of us. We don't want justice. We don't like when a teacher gave us justice, here's your F, because you didn't do the work. I loved the teacher that would say, I'm going to let you work all summer to write a few pages, and then maybe you can move up to a D or maybe a C minus. I'm going, yes, I'm going to pass this class. That's the mercy that we want so often in life. Well, today we're going to talk about something that I think is so important. And it's really life is like a courtroom trial. If I was actually going to title this, I would title it, The Verdict is In. Today we're going to study the greatest trial in human history. And you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 27. Just go ahead and get those. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Usher will give you a Bible. If not, you're going to see it on the screen because there's so many scriptures. But today we're going to study the greatest trial in human history, the trial of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at the evidence against Jesus along with the verdict that should have been given, but it was not. Then we're going to discover something that's surprising and a twist to the greatest trial in human history, how the trial of Jesus Christ put you and me on trial. We will look at the mounting evidence against us and the verdict that justice demands. You're going, Brock, are you an attorney? No, I'm not. But I'm telling you, as I study this this week, I have read this passage so many times. I read through the Bible usually twice in the year. I've read this scripture so many times. I have read it, heard it, studied on and I always pass through it because it's the same day that Jesus goes to the cross. So I just kind of push through this trial and I go right to the cross. We're going to stop and pause and hang out in these verses, that are going to talk about this. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 27, verse 1 and 2. First, we talked about last week, but I'm going to touch there. One day, though, there will be a verdict. and will be declared for us justice or mercy. Guess what? It will be our choice. Matthew 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Look at verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then he's accused by the chief priests and the elders. He gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Who in the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of old self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. So she kind of texted him at this point. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted even louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was stirring, he took water, and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, as we have opened up this Scripture and we are beginning to walk in this, I pray that none of us walk out here without understanding what you're trying to give us as distinct points of Scripture for us today. Father, we want to take this and listen to this And you speak to us and then help it to change our life. We love you. Help us to hear as children would. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I was walking around literally the warehouse on Friday especially, walking around and just going, I feel like, I did a wedding yesterday. I feel like I should be wearing, not shorts, but a suit and tie. That's what I really felt like, like an attorney. Because I was going we're going to talk about Jesus on trial. Think about this. Jesus, Son of God, Prince of Peace, on trial. It blows me away when I begin to read this passage that my Savior was on trial. One of the most important sections, I believe, in the entire Bible. The trial that led to his death and his burial and his resurrection. Jesus endured six different trials. We're going to be looking at all of the different Gospels. That's why we're going all over the place, because the the Bible itself is going to be a commentary for another Scripture. We're going to look all over the place. The first one was Jesus was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, we talked about last week. He was taken to the house of Annas, which was the former priest. This was according to John 18. I'm going to just run through these quick. Now, Annas' son-in-law, Caiaphas, the high priest, called for the second trial, but he did it at night. What's the significance at night? They can't have trials at night. So the next morning was the third trial. It was brief, but it was reaffirming the verdict from the night before. Because, you know, these guys that were holding the law were breaking the law. You see that? Then the fourth, the Jews brought Jesus before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, because they did not have the authority to execute people in Roman-controlled areas. So they had to go to Pilate for that. The fifth thing is Jesus, being from Galilee, a region outside of his jurisdiction, sent Jesus to Herod Antipas, the ruler of the region, in Luke 23, to stand trial. Herod was hoping that Jesus would perform one of his cool uh, miracles, because he had heard about all these miracles, and that's why he listened to him so these six trials you would think there would be overwhelming amount of evidence against Jesus but there wasn't and we're going to uncover that what was the evidence against Jesus looking out at Matthew chapter 26 verse 59 the chief priests and the whole sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death but they did not find any though many false witnesses came forth. Israel had one goal. It's to kill Jesus. That was their goal. We are going to kill Jesus at any cost. One of the costs is we're going to pay Judas Iscariot to to capture him, to seize him. They're going to do a night illegal trial. They're also going to do it on a feast which is illegal for them to do. They also entertain false testimony, which is against the law of Moses. They know that. It says in Exodus 20, 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. During all this, Jesus remains silent. The guy that's being constantly put in front of saying, did you do this? Did you do that? He was silent. You know what he was doing? He was fulfilling the messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. When the false witnesses were unable to provide evidence against Jesus, they came forward. And they declared this. This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. They were checking Jesus, right? When did Jesus ever say that? Do you remember that? That was way back, months for us. But it was chapters back where he said this at the start of his ministry, before the Passover, in John 2, after he cleansed the temple. The temple That Jesus was referring to was in John 2. Look at it. John 2 at 18. It's up here on the screen. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. I will rise it up again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple Jesus had spoken of was his body. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was declaring that this was going to take place. At the start, his death, his burial, and his resurrection was about that physical body. That's what he was speaking into. The high priest pressed the matter in Matthew 26, 63. But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you, under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. Jesus is quoting from two Messianic quotations in Psalm 110 and in Daniel 7. Jesus is making it very clear he is the Messiah. Are you hearing that? He was making it very clear, the evidence that he is the Messiah. Psalm 110 is all about the father telling his son, you'll be beside me to my right until I make my enemies a footstep. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you're judging me, but someday, You'll stand before me, the judge of all creation. And they knew exactly what he was talking about because they knew Scripture. Verse 65 says the chief priest ripped his clothes, his robe, ripped it, which is also illegal in Leviticus 21.10. It says that's not even legal. So they beat him, they slapped him, they, they spit on him, they mocked him, which was also not legal. When they took Jesus to Pilate, the Jews, they changed the charge from blasphemy to now they gave him three charges, misleading the nation, two, payment of taxes to Caesar, three, claiming to be Christ, a king in Luke 23. Pilate was focusing on the last. You know why? Because he was nervous. He was head governor over Rome, and he had already had a problem with John the Baptist. With what happened there. So he was already trying to deal with some of this. So he's going, oh my goodness, I got to be careful. Because there's a threat to Rome. He needed to know about it. So he questioned Jesus. In John 18.33, he said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered in Matthew 26.36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm the king. But he's also saying, I'm no threat to Rome right now. That's what he's trying to get across. Pilate realized his innocence. I'm trying to help you understand that, that Jesus was innocent here. Pilate knew that. Look at the evidence. What crime had Jesus really committed? What evidence is there that Jesus is really the Son of God. Jesus was confirmed as the Son of God fulfilling miraculous predictions. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm going to give you nine of them. Nine predictions of the fulfillment that what Jesus is going to do. Six of them are when and where he was born and by whom he was born. I'm going to rattle these fast. Seed of woman, Genesis 3.35. Seed of Abraham, Genesis 12.1. From the tribe of Judah, Messiah has come, Genesis 49.10. From Adam to Abraham, from Judah to the line of David, 2 Samuel 12.7. Born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. This is before he was born. All of these things of the Old Testament were coming to truth. Jesus fulfilled each one of those. Then in Daniel 9.25, the exact time that Jesus would enter Jerusalem before his death was predicted in Daniel. These last two is Jesus was confirmed as the Son of God by living a miraculous life. He performed over 60 miracles in his lifetime here on earth. Jesus was taught and he lived the highest ethic that humanity has ever known. If you read some of my favorite passages in the Bible, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What is that known as? Sermon on the Mount. He not only declared it, but he lived it. He didn't only declare blessed is those, but he lived it out. That's the verdict really should be this. He was condemned, yet he was innocent. He was innocent. Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life. Even Judas, a betrayer, we learned last week that Andrew read in Matthew 27, the betrayer said that Jesus was innocent. He said he's free of sin. Pilate's, Pilate's wife declared in verse 19 of Matthew 27, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a text, right? I said, don't have anything to do with that man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pilate and Herod both knew that he was innocent. Luke 23 13, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for charges against him. Neither has Herod. For he sent him back to us. As you see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Wow, Herod and Pilate are saying he's innocent. Yet Jesus was condemned. Why? That's the answer I'm going to try to uncover now for all of us that have read through this so many times. Why? I'm going to address this. Who was responsible for the death of Jesus Christ? For many, we blame the Jews for killing the Messiah. We blame those Sadducees and Pharisees, right? The the holders of the law. We blame the crowd because the crowd, five days ago, when Jesus was coming through on a donkey into Jerusalem, that crowd was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna the highest, save us! The same crowd says, crucify him. The same crowd went against him. What's the responsibility for us? Who is the greater truth and what is going on here? Jesus offered his life in obedience to his father's command. His life was not taken away from him. John ten eighteen says this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up. This command I received from my Father. Jesus did not have to give his life away because just some, some crazy reason, he gave his life on purpose because it was planned. It was part of the willingness of God For you and for me. And praise the Lord that he did that for you and I. God's plan included man's free will. You know, it's hard to go and talk. I won't go much about that, but God's plan included free will. Those guys that condemned Jesus had an opportunity to not do that. But God gave them this freedom. We have God's sovereign will and we have man's free will. But it's all incorporated in God. Acts 4.27 says this, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conjure or conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power will have decided beforehand should happen. Herod and Pilate were not forced to do this. They had free will, free choice. They incorporated this, but it was God's plan the whole time. This was God's plan. The judge of all earth is on trial. I told you, I walked around, blown away this whole week, as I thought about Jesus on trial. And today, people put God on trial over and over. You know, I'm not going to talk much about it. I'm not even going to go there. I'll just mention it. Rovius', Rovius is Wade. Okay. I mentioned it. I'm not going to go any further. But there's so many things that people are getting so crazy about right now. You guys have seen it. The last year, the killings, all the stuff going on, the war. We knew all this stuff was supposed to happen. These things are gonna happen. We tend to think the enemy's gonna win. He's not in the end, right? We know this. Who's on trial? We're on trial. That's who's on trial. Truth never changes. As I read through the scriptures, every time I get back to the same scripture, I go, that's true now. And that will always be true. And it'll always be true forever. But so often, truth is is not truth, but truth should be the truth. So, what do we do with this truth? What is the evidence against us? Here's the truth we're guilty because all of us have sinned. We inherit a sin nature because of Adam, right? From the fall. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and then this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. So all of us are sinners. We all have a sin nature. We all deserve death. Agree? Yes, we all agree. Some of you may not know me as, you always think I'm an angel, right? I was not always that guy. My wife of 38 years could confess very much pre-Brock Christian life because she wouldn't have dated the pre-Brock that was kicked out of colleges that was doing, I don't want to go to all my sin because my pages would be long, but I was a, a very chief sinner times 100. But I get the nature of sin and I knew that I had fallen and I was a sinner and I had fallen short. And each one of us, I know that I'm pointing to you because we don't have to go outside of this church to recognize that all of us were sinners and all of us are in need of that Savior. Matthew 27, 18 says this, For he knew it was out of self-interest, it was envy that Pilate had handed Jesus over. Do you remember that guy Peter we talked about a few weeks ago? In verse 33 of chapter 26, Peter said this, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Have you ever been overconfident, over prideful? That's that Peter. Peter another time said this, he wanted to get close to the crowd. So he wanted to blend in to the crowd. Remember that? He wanted to be close to the fire. How many of us just blend in at work? Maybe I many it was just blend in at the gym or at our neighborhood. Maybe we're the ones that open the garage door, slide in quick, and pull it down and get the wave. Maybe that's our blend. Maybe that's our way of doing that. We know that there was pressure by Pilate. He gave in to peer pressure. He was pressured by his wife. His wife said, don't do this. He was pressured by others. Don't do this. He knew his heart, yet he was pressured by it. Pilate gave in to pressure. What about us? What's the verdict? Guess what? You're guilty. Yet, graciously, we're offered mercy. This is the hope for us. We are often like Barabbas. Now listen to me on this. Barabbas, if you break it down, Bar means son, the Abba part of it means father. So it means son of the father. I would say more like son of a devil because this was a bad guy. He was a terrorist and he was a murderer. Pilate presented Barabbas to the people knowing they would of course not take him. Little did he know that they would choose Barabbas over Jesus that was innocent. Look at this parallel as we're going to close here in a second. You see, Barabbas was a notorious sinner who deserved death, and Jesus died in his place. And because Jesus died in his place, Barabbas was set free, and he lived. Can you imagine this? This is where I was walking around yesterday. I'm I'm walking. If you've been to our warehouse, it is concrete and concrete. It's literally tilt up with concrete floors and concrete. There's nothing pretty about that place except for some Bibles and crosses in there. Seriously. But I was walking around there and I was looking at the concrete walls as I was studying this. And I was thinking four walls, concrete top, concrete bottom that Barabbas was sitting in waiting for crucifixion, waiting to die as a murderer, and having a little window, because they had to have a vent, I was imagining a little window with a bar on it. And all of a sudden, this huge crowd is out there. And all of a sudden, I can imagine Barabbas hears his name. Save Barabbas, release Barabbas, and crucify Jesus. And for Barabbas, all of a sudden, gets this gift of life. I, I was just imagining what was the, that was like. This is a picture for all of us. We're all sinners desiring of death, yet the message of the cross is I came for each and every person. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the truth that sets us free. Jesus Christ is our place that we might receive forgiveness of sin and the gift of everlasting life. Romans 5, 6, and 8. I want you to jot this down in your brains. Put this in your Bibles. Highlight two words. I'll give those to you. It's Romans 5, 6, and 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died, circle this, for the ungodly. Verse 8. But God demonstrated His own love for us While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Underline the four. Why is four so significant? Because if you look that up in the Greek that I did on Wednesday, it communicates the idea of a substitute. Christ died for me, He died in our place. He took on the punishment that we deserved. We were ungodly. We were helpless. And God gave us mercy through Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, Paul says, Our sin has earned a wage. The wages of sin is death. And he could have stopped there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're all guilty. We're all guilty, but grace and mercy was given to us. These last few words, and we're going to go into time of prayer. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, the invitation is open to you right now. You have a rescuer, you have a redeemer, you have a savior, Jesus Christ. Worship team can come up. But also, I want to put this word out to you that maybe have asked Christ into your life, maybe as a teenager. Maybe at that youth camp, maybe at a, a harvest festival, or, or, or wait, you know, sometime Billy Graham crusade. But you have been living with shackles on your hands and on your feet, and you have not experienced freedom. I want you to know that when Jesus went to the cross, that blood gives you freedom. You're saved. You're saved. You're freed. If I was to take right now a scale and put your sin on it, it would go like this about all your sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, it went like this. And he died for all of that. Do you get that? This good news is available to everyone sitting here today. Everyone. Every one of us. Satan thought he was winning that day. The chief priest thought they had won that day. But listen to this. James Stewart of Scotland wrote this. I saw this yesterday. They nailed him to a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up the gates of the universe to let the King of glory come in. They thought, to root out His doctrines, not understanding that they were implanting imperishable in the hearts of men. The very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had God with His back to the wall, pinned and helpless and defeated. They did not know that it was God Himself who tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite of the dark, mystery of evil, he conquered through it. We're told in Acts 16, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word. We've gone a lot into the word. We thank you so much that though we were guilty, our innocent Savior has made a way and been victorious. We come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for the freedom that is ours in Jesus. We want to walk in that freedom. We want to offer ourselves to you, church, right now. If anyone here in this congregation has never asked Jesus to come into their life, you're clueless what I've been talking about it's as simple as this he said in Revelation behold I stand at the door and I knock if anyone answers the door I will come into his life and I will live there all you have to do is ask Jesus to come into your life ask him to forgive you for your sins and recognize that he died on the cross for you and you now have freedom in Christ But there's some of you I talked about that had received Christ. But you've got those those shackles. You feel this, but God can't forgive me. I have so much sin. You don't know about my past. For you, let the Lord take off that shackles. Let the Lord walk beside you. Enjoy Him. We thank you, Father, that you reign over us in your name, Father. And all the people in this group right now say amen and amen.